Aloha and rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today is show number 2,254 and today I'm over in Maui with a very interesting collector who has a very interesting backstory life as well. So buckle up, the sun is out, be prepared to have some fun and be very, very inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello and aloha to you inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Uh, welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm on the island of Maui with a very special guest that I met at, well, at a big car event that we'll learn a little bit more about by the name of Greg Blue. Greg, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear and are you ready to release the clutch? Aloha. Yeah, most definitely. I'm jealous. You know, I think we should grab some boards and go out and catch some waves first before we do this interview because you're a guy who's still out in the water surfing. I'm a guy that used to surf. My dream is to live on a beach and go for a walk every morning and, and catch some waves. Uh, but you're, you're living the dream, my friend. Well, I don't know about anybody else's dream. It's just I've always been fanatically focused on sports my whole life. That was the only thing that really meant anything to me. So, you know, that was my, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Well, listen, before I give you a proper introduction and we talk, I mean, just we're going to be talking a, a fraction about Greg's life because I think I could do several weeks on Mr. Blue here because his life is one of intrigue, world travel, all sorts of, I don't know what, all sorts of crazy things. I suggested to him in a, a chat we had a few days ago, he should write a book and he's doing that. So we're going to have you back in about a year when that book comes out. See, I added a little pressure to get that done <laughs> for you. But before I give you a proper introduction, I want you to share, this could be hard, one little thing that most people don't know about you, Greg. One little thing they don't know about me. Well, when I left for lands unknown in the 60s, and uh, went to South Africa to Jeffreys Bay, which is the subject of The Endless Summer, the old Bruce Brown uh, surfing movie. Oh, yeah. I was almost out of money. And uh, I was living in a garage with my girlfriend in Jeffreys Bay that cost us $50 a month. <laughs> and, uh, there was two garages next to each other. And right across the street was the best break at Jeffreys Bay called Super Tubes. And um, there was a, an Australian guy and his English girlfriend living in the other garage. These were like one-car garages. And there was a communal bathroom outstairs. And we had a five-gallon water jug inside and a one-burner gas stove to cook on. Wow. And right in front of these two garages was Andorra's Market. And they sold food. And they had a garden in the back where they grew vegetables. So you could get fresh veggies and stuff every day. And, of course, it was apartheid, one door for the whites, the other door for the blacks, okay? So anyway, Marion Shachevsky from Australia um, was a sandal maker. And, you know, I started chatting with him, and I was always good with my hands from, you know, working in surf shops. And he taught me how to make sandals. Ah. Over the next... I don't know, five to seven years, I made my living making belts, sandals, bags, 
with my girlfriend, actually, and we had a VW van, and I became a pretty accomplished sandal maker, and when I got up to Europe, I transitioned into shoes and boots. Oh, wow. So, I, yeah, like if you wanted a custom pair of shoes or a custom pair of boots, I'd measure your feet, I'd take my wooden form, build it up with leather, cut out the leather, sew it up, you know, stretch it on the form, put the soles, put the, and I would make you a custom pair of shoes. And um, I was a pretty accomplished sandal, shoe, and boot maker for quite a few years. Wow. That's something that most people don't know. <laughs> well, listeners, that gives you a little sliver, just a baby sliver of the background of Greg and the many facets that this diamond of a guy that I found has that uh, shines throughout his life. And like we said, uh, story forthcoming in a book because the adventures this guy has had, we could talk for days. But we're going to talk about cars today mostly. So let me give you a proper introduction. Greg Blue is a collector with a passion for traveling old cars. It sounds like also leather shoes and finding more than unique automobiles to inspire his life. His career has been one of discovering treasures from around the world. Greg grew up in Venice Beach, California, and his love for cars and the beach and surfing go way, way back. When he was a senior in Venice High, he traded his VW bus for a 1957 Porsche Speedster. Need a little work. Uh, just two of the 10 cars he had in high school alone. He's had many since then. He took off after high school to surf in Hawaii. He's lived all around the world. But today, he lives at the bottom of Crater Road on Maui, where he can enjoy driving his collection from the sea to 10,000 feet above sea level. The cars he has today are a result of buying and selling and trading over the last 50 years years. We'll be back in a moment just to learn a little bit more about Greg's amazing life. But first, a word from our sponsors. So give them a little love. They put the fuel in the tanks here and we'll be right back. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up way up, but my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around. I asked friends for recommendations and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. You know what? We are all wired differently, and not everyone needs to go to a four-year university. 
technical education, and the skilled trades matter. And one can build a solid career as an auto, diesel, or collision technician. They're no longer blue-collar jobs. They're new-collar careers as the technology and skill sets have become so advanced. Support career and technical education by getting involved with TechForce Foundation. It's a Cars Yeah! charity of choice. Learn more at techforce.org. So, Greg, we are back. So, I'm not quite sure where to start with you because I'll tell you, listeners, I met Greg at the Pebble Beach Tour. He was in a little silver Porsche Coupe uh, GT, right? Yeah, Carrera GT. Carrera GT. Uh, a mutual friend of ours, Steve Latimer, who is the guy in the straw hat, as I call him. He's always wearing a straw hat. He knows everybody. And the joke with Steve and I is everywhere I go during car week, he is there. But he introduced me to Greg. Uh, Greg and I have since become, I'll say, aloha friends, if you will. And I thought this guy's life is pretty interesting. But today we're going to talk mostly about cars. So what I want to do is talk a little bit about, well, actually, I'm going to back up here because I want you to without going too far off the rails with me, my friend. Talk a little bit about this crazy life you've had, buying, selling, finding things, and it includes cars. And then we're going to talk about some specific cars. But I've got to give the listeners a little bit of flair of this life because we spoke for, I don't know how long, an hour plus the other day. And I went, yeah. oh my gosh, I mean, this this guy's life is amazing. So can you give us a little bit of the uh, Cliff Notes version, if you will, of this life you've built of living around the world, finding Finding things to do, importing, exporting, and a lot of it has involved the evolution of cars in your life. So uh, wherever you want to start, my friend, take us on a little bit of a journey. Uh, well, that's <laughs> really difficult. No kidding. Let's just stick to cars. Okay, for today. Although I'm going to have you back someday, and we're going to go on some other adventures. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, by the time I was 10 or 12, any car going down the road, I knew the year, the make, the model, okay? And by the time I got into high school, you know, I, I was, you know, 15, and I went out and bought a 49 Chevy panel truck for 35 bucks, and I was off. And my friends had Nomads and Sunbeam Tigers. I didn't have a bunch of money. On the way home from school, I kept passing this 59 Pontiac Safari, you know, it looks like a nomad, right? Oh, yeah. You know, just sat there in front of this guy's house, and I just walked up to the door one day, knocked on the door, and I said, hey, is that car for sale? And uh, the guy goes, yeah. And I said, you know, well, what do you want? And he goes, ah, 100 bucks. And so I gave him $100, and I had my Safari, took it home, painted it metallic blue, sold that for a few hundred bucks when I went to Hawaii in my senior year for the summertime. And then I came back, and that's when I got my Speedster. But, you know, I had this interest in cars, and then I would get this flyer in, in Venice called the Bargain Box. And if you had anything for sale for less than $100, you could advertise for free. So that's where I found my cars. And I'd get it every Friday, and I'd look through there. And as soon as I saw a decent car, you know, 40 bucks, 60 bucks, whatever, I'd just call the guy up, go down there, and I'd buy it. And so <clears throat> that's how my buying and selling cars uh, started. And then I'd hit the junkyards. You know, I'd find some Porsche. Some guy drove in from Minnesota and buy it for 250 bucks and 
fix the crashed in nose with some Bondo and sell it next weekend for 800. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, 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 was, I was seriously dealing cars. In fact, when I left for Hawaii, I sold my Speedster for 11 $100 bills and I shipped my 1951 Triumph Mayflower, which sort of looks like a Bentley put in a shrinking machine that I had painted uh, dark gray and silver. I shipped it to Hawaii. And um, I had that car over here. And so, you know, once I got to Hawaii, you know, spent a couple of years here, I wasn't collecting classic cars and I sold my Mayflower. And for the almost 20 years that I was in Europe, Africa and Southeast Asia, the only car I had was either a VW bus or a 30 passenger school bus or a Balinese taxi. <laughs> Because they didn't have any cars there, and uh, nobody had cars. They just had bicycles, trucks, and motorbikes. But there's these local taxis called BMOs, which are like these Japanese Mitsubishi pickup trucks. Oh, sure. You know, you'd fit 10 people in the back. And so I bought one of those. And then the Balinese would keep flagging me down because they thought I was a BMO. And I'd just throw them in the back, and they'd press the little button when they wanted to get off and come up and try to pay me, and we'd just laugh and drive away. We had a So anyway... I didn't have cars for almost 20 years. And when I moved back to Maui, first thing I did, I bought a Speedster in California. I don't know, it was $12,000 or whatever at the time, and shipped it back to Maui. And that was in 85. And then I started buying and selling all over again until I am where I, you know, where you right are now. today. Yeah. yeah I, but I mean, the most amount of cars I've ever had at one time is six. I think I had a, I had a 289 Shelby Cobra. I had a Devon SS. I had a Tiger. I had, oh, an AC Cobra. Hmm. A couple other cars. But, you know, I just, I didn't have the financial means to hold on to these cars. And I've probably been through 60 or 70 cars, you know, in the last you know, 35, 40 years. I've just slowly, slowly worked my way up and treasure hunting for cars. You know, when I went to Europe, when I went to India, when I went to Indonesia and started seeing things that I'd never seen before. And then I'd see something in one country that was $20 and a couple countries over, it was $2. I was like, well, I'm going to pick some of these up on the way back. Sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and that basically evolved into a trade route that I established between Europe and Bali. So that way I could check into a ski resort. I lived about six years in Val d'Isere and about nine years in Verbier in Switzerland. And I'd, I'd ski from December until May. And I'd make leather stuff for people and we'd ski all day and we were sponsored by surf shop, uh, ski shops and we had our photos in magazines. We're just going out being crazy all day, and our friends were taking pictures of us. But I, I developed this trade route, so when I finished skiing in April or May, I'd go back to Afghanistan or Pakistan or Nepal or India, and I'd buy things, and then I'd go to Bangkok or Sri Lanka or Hong Kong and end up in Indonesia in Bali and I knew what to pick up in one country that I could sell in the other. Then in Bali, it'd all be sold, and I'd buy all this Balinese jewelry. And take and it back. <laughs> other 
day yeah. and end up in Europe. And so I could make all the money that I needed to in about, I don't know, six to eight weeks of moving from Southeast Asia back to Europe. And I did that for 15 years. Oh, my gosh. Basically, I ended up going from leather into old Indian silver into semi-precious stones and into emeralds and rubies. You're an importer-exporter extraordinaire. Importer, and um, I made a bunch of money. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I met great people, and they'd say, hey, next time you go, bring me this, bring me that. And I'd go, okay, man. And so I was just, you know, running back and forth with my backpack. And if I had a lot of gems, I'd fill up a suitcase. And uh, I was just dealing whatever I could buy cheap in one place and I could make sometimes 10, 20 times my money sure. with right product. And that would you know constantly change. So that gift that I have of being able to see value in something where somebody else couldn't and then have the confidence to just jump on it, okay, got me to you know where I am today. And I have lost money, believe me. But I've made more money than I've lost. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when I met you, uh, it was the Pebble Beach tour, and Steve walked over and he said, hey, I want to introduce you to somebody. And when I walked up and saw you with your car, I looked at your car and I went, okay, this car has a story. Because you walk up and down that row of cars, and most are Pebble Beach Concord level restorations. Your car is what I would call a survivor car. I call it a beater. <laughs> Well, you're you're maybe you're maybe uh, I may be being a little kinder than you are, but I looked at it and I went, okay, what's the story with this deal? So I'd love for you and, and my listeners know I love Porsches. Always wanted a 356. They become a bit unobtainium. I should have started doing what you're doing back when I was in high school, and you could buy a Speedster for cheap. Tell me about this car. Um, Nick Clements, who's the owner of European Collectibles, is a really good friend of mine. I met him on Maui when he bought some land here. I've surfed with him in Fiji. I've surfed with him in Indonesia. And he became a really good friend. I've probably known him like 30 years. And I've bought quite a few cars from him and sold quite a few cars from him. And one day, I think it was in 2016 or 17, he sends me this picture of this 57 Carrera Speedster being pulled out of a garage on Beverly Street in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. okay. There's a little cinder block garage. The doors open. There's this nasty looking stuff, just like junk and dirt. And A putrefied oil. <laughs> it's nasty looking. And they're pulling this 57 Carrera GT out of the garage. And this guy's father had bought this car um, in the 60s and driven it until uh, he thought he heard a rod knock and he parked it in 69. Oh, wow. And the father passed, and from 1969 until 2016, that car was in that garage, like 47 years. Whoa. Yeah, never opened. Oh, my gosh. And so that guy wrote a letter to Nick and said, hey, look, I got this car. Here's the engine number. You know, And Nick said, well, it's not the matching number, but Nick knew that that forecam belonged to a Carrera Speedster that he had sold. Oh. And there was, of course, the car itself. And the word had been out. I think I talked to Wayne Carini once. Somebody called him about it. I think Seinfeld knew about it. I mean, the word was out and people were trying to, you know, score this car. But Nick flew out to New York 
unannounced called the guy and goes, hey, you know, I'm in New York. Can I take a look at that car? So anyway, he paid the guy all the money and bought the car. All right. Sold the engine to the guy. Who had the matching speedster. On to and sent me a picture of that car, and I didn't have any money, and I was drooling on that car. It was like, oh, my God, out of all the cars I've ever seen in my life, that is me. That is that is my car. And he showed it at the Quail. What year was it at the Quail? Because I've been to almost every Quail event. I, I must have seen it. It must have been 16 or 17. Okay. I'll have to go back to my pictures. I probably have a picture of it. it was, I wasn't at the Quail. The car was. And so um, I got to make this long story short. <laughs> so um, anyway, I forgot about the car. And about eight months later, I was on the mainland and my brother and I drove down to say hi to Nick. And we drove into his shop and I saw the car. Uh-oh. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, there's that car. It's with my brother. So I said, who bought it? And he said, oh, it's not sold yet. And I, I just could not believe that. Nobody bought that car. Are you freaking kidding me? I mean, it's like a holy grail car in unrestored condition. Okay, the paint was seriously challenged, but I mean, the interior is all original. Every nut, bolt, the alloy wheels, everything was, it's a reference car. Okay, it had 41,000 miles on it when I bought it. Wow. Okay, got about 60 now. So, you know, I just sort of said to my brother and Nick, geez, too bad I don't have the money to buy it. And my brother goes, you got the money to buy it? And I said, no, I don't. He goes, well, you know, you've got a couple houses on Maui because I had sold a house before 10 years earlier to buy a 1959 Carrera GT Speedster from Nick, okay? I sold a house to buy it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so my brother turns to me and he goes, do you want this car? I said, what do you mean, do I want the car? And he goes, do you want this car? (laughs) And I go, yeah. And I asked Nick how much it was. And he he gave me two prices. One was a little bit less than the other. He goes, oh, you know, it's going to be this price or this price. I said, I like the first one. And my brother goes, I'll have money here tomorrow. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And my jaw dropped. You know, Nick looked at me, I looked at Nick, my brother looked at, you know, Chris, and all of a sudden the car was sold. Wow. And my my brother said, pay me back when you sell another house. There you go. I said, okay. So the car came to me. I bought it without an engine. And uh, one of the guys at the Quail, Michael Doyle, had photographed it. Another long story short, right after I bought it, he says, I got your engine. It's in Germany being rebuilt for my Carrera GT. So another long story short. So was that the matching engine to your car? Yes, matching engine. <laughs> wow. Yep, yep. Wow. And so I had kept a roller bearing engine when I sold my uh, GT Speedster and put a uh, plane bearing engine in it. So I had, you know, a good engine. You had something to trade. So I traded him my block for his block and then took the internals and rebuilt it. And so now I got the original engine. Oh, my gosh. So wow, I got invited to the Amelia Island in 2019, showed the car, and then as soon as I got back to Costa Mesa, I pulled that, four came out, stuck it on the shelf, threw a 912 engine in the car, and I've been driving it ever since. I put like 20,000 miles in it in doing rallies in the last five years. Oh, that's how the car came to me. It's been in lots of magazines. I got so many ribbons and prizes and 
And, you know, the reason it's still in California is, is I had never done any rallies in the States. Okay. I did the Target Tasmania one time with a friend in a 356. And I, I said, you know, I'm going to leave this car here, Nick, and try to do a couple of rallies. Um, that was in 17. And so I entered it into the Great Race, which was 2,300 miles. Oh, yeah. From Jacksonville, Florida to Traverse City, Michigan. That was the first event I ever did. And it was a blast. And the second event was the Grand, Colorado Grand. It was 120 cars. And on the final evening, when they give out all the awards, I had fixed quite a few people's cars that were broken down. Uh, I know how to wrench. And the first prize was Rookie of the Year. And I got that prize, right? And I sat down, and then all of a sudden I saw a picture of my car up on the big screen, and they said the second prize is for the car that best represents the spirit of the Grand. And, I mean, you know, there was Ferrari GTOs. I mean, there was, <laughs> I, I mean, the Colorado Grand. My car took first place out of every car there, and they, they even registered it with the SVRA, the historical thing, and they gave me this big prize. And that was the start of a whole bunch of awards and you know, all this stuff and magazine articles. So anyway, that car changed my life. Wow. And it continues to change my life because of all the people I've met, including you, uh, on all these rallies, on all these tours that are really good friends of mine. And this year I'm doing the, the Ram's Horn the sports car market, and the Pebble Beach Motoring Classic, which is my favorite. So I continue to do at least 5,000 miles a year in that car, and I drive that thing so hard. I drive that thing on the edge all the time. It's just, out of all the cars I've ever had, I think it's the biggest fun factor. Uh, it hauls ass, and there's very few cars on these rallies that can keep up with me in the turns. Okay, straightaways, that's a different, but I mean, I, that car is just, like I said, it changed my life. It's the best vehicle I've ever owned. Well, it's an awesome story. And I knew, as I said, when I walked up and met you and looked at that car, I went, okay, there's a story behind this car. And you gave me the abbreviated version because you guys had to jump in and take off for the, the tour. But uh, now that I know the proverbial Paul Harvey rest of the story, uh, it's a wonderful story. And it's a testament to how cars can change our lives. And the fact that you've had so many unique cars, but this little silver car, rough around the edges, patina galore, has far exceeded your joy than probably some of the other cars you've had that are re restored, perfect, if you will. And would you say it's because you're not afraid to drive it because it is what it is and there's you don't have to worry about a scratch or a chip or anything. It enables you the freedom to go out and have fun. You know, I hear that all the time, and I am not the person that gives a hoot about driving a 100-point car. Not that I buy 100-point cars. I don't. You know, when I got my Cobra, you know, I got it from Canapa. I traded in a 206 Dino <laughs> on it. Oh, if you got it from Canapa, that was a nice car. Yeah, and and I drove that, that Cobra for 10 years. I drove my Carrera GT Speedster for 10 years, and it was in Concord condition. I don't care. I, I'm not afraid. I mean, the thing's insured. I'm not afraid of anything getting in the car and driving it. The thing about this Carrera Coupe that I have, that car came to me. Okay. The engine came to me. 
And that card best reflects my personality because I am the last person that you could call a perfectionist as far as, I mean, even when I made leather and I transitioned into making jewelry, everything I made was rough around the edges, but still looked really good. Okay? That's how I roll. Um, I'm not the person to do the perfect finish. You know, uh, I scratch something. Okay, you know, I just, I mean, I just, I just don't even go there. I don't care. Um, and so that car is me personified, is what it is, and that's why it's the best car I've ever had. Uh, yeah, awesome. You, you know, I asked all my guests a, a unique question. I become a car psychologist, and I crawl into their head. And the question is this: If you were reincarnated. And this isn't what you want to be. This is how you perceive your personality. And I take you to be a guy, Greg, that knows himself very well because of the life that you've lived. What car would you be, but more importantly, why? What car would I be? Yeah, and this is, again, not what you want to be. This is how you perceive yourself, the man in the mirror. You've given us some bits of of your personality here. So you don't care about perfection as it goes to, you know, perfect paint, perfect. I mean, you're more about experiences. In life, I would be that car, that 57 unrestored <laughs> Carrera GT Coupe with all of its. I mean, if you take the seat on that car and lean it forward and look at the bottom underneath it, they have this beautiful blue chevron stitched material under that seat, okay, that is just like as beautiful a fabric as I've ever seen in my life. And I've been into textiles. Okay. And, you know, just looking through the car and seeing all the touches, all the details, um, how everything's patinaed, how all of the plastic looks like ivory. Um, everything is aged, but well-preserved. That is, that car is who I am. Yeah. That, that particular car is who I am. Yeah. I love it. You know, uh, yeah. one of the advantages of being around and doing some miles, as you've done throughout the world, is you've learned a whole lot. of. And I'd love for you to share with some of the younger listeners today maybe one or two pieces of wisdom about how to live a life well-lived. Oh, Oh boy. Um, Don't be afraid of anything would be the first thing that I would counsel anybody. And that's that's a tough thing to say because in order to not be fearful, you have to have gone through enough experiences to have the confidence to not be intimidated. Okay. So, you know, working your way through having confidence in what you do, how you treat others, how you handle serious situations challenging dramas that come your way going through all that and coming out the other side and basically get to the point where there's not much that can knock you off your feet okay and just stay in an equilibrium as far as you know when something heavy comes down it's like well okay what are we going to do with this information? I mean, are we going to freak out? You know, are we going to get violent? Are we going to buy it? (laughs) You know, I mean, 
you know, how are we going to deal with this? And come from a center, um, a calm center, and take everything into consideration. And then once you do, move with confidence. Okay? That's, I've never been asked that question. And I don't know what I just said. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, that's what came out. Well, it's it's a great, I think the best thing is to start was don't be afraid of everything. Uh, do your best to not be afraid of everything and accept things as they come through. And, and it leads to another question. I always ask people to share a great challenge. No doubt your life has been uh, a fulfilling one, uh, interesting one. I mean, things that you never thought you'd probably do, you've done. But is there one experience you had that was a huge challenge? And I'll even say a big failure at the time. But when you look back, and I think you have the right attitude for this, you go, you know, I'm kind of glad I went through that because it taught me something. So can you pull one, one, you know, I'm almost afraid to ask you this question, Greg, because this Do we could, want to go there? Uh, I don't know. Do we? It would be, it would be a story about drugs in jail. Well, it's your life. So. Well, I'm not wanted anymore, so. Okay. Well, that's a good thing uh, to know. I'm not on the Interpol. The, the statute of limitations has expired. Yeah, Exactly. Boy, how to make a long story short. I'll try. Okay. Yeah, you know, we're surfing in Morocco, and uh, we need to make some money so we can continue surfing. I think it was in 69, we had a big Land Rover, a long wheelbase Land Rover with two gas tanks. So we filled one up with 100 pounds of hash. Uh-oh. Uh, you know, got on the boat to Spain and got busted. Uh-oh. And uh, into prison we went, me and my surf buddy. And at that time in Spain, the minimum was seis años un día, which translated means six years, one day. Okay. So that's what we were looking at. And the maximum was 12 years. And we had the biggest bus they'd ever had. So they were looking for 12 years. So I don't want to be in prison for six years. Okay. So, you know, between trying to bust out of jail and hot with a hacksaw blade, and uh, by the time we got up to the next prison, I met some Spanish guys. I said, look, man, how do we get out of here? How do I get out of here? And he said, well, the only way you can get out is to be declared criminally insane. And to do that, you got to get into the psychiatric hospital. And then you get declared non-responsible. And then you can get released. Oh, my. Yeah. So long, long story <laughs> short. Um I managed to get myself into the psychiatric hospital, which, you know, I just won't even go into the story. I had to figure out what to do to get there. And I did get there. And then I tried to escape and they figured I was faking it. And so they sent me back to the jail and then I had to get back there again. Oh, my gosh. So I did. And in the end, long, long story short, I got out in nine months. Okay. I got out in nine months. So am I glad I went through that experience? Absolutely, because that set me up, again, back to the subject where I was not afraid of anything or anybody, no matter what they were going to do with me. I took charge because I knew if I didn't, and I just had to make this stuff up as I went along, okay? time I got out of there, um, I certainly wasn't the same person. I turned 21 in jail, okay? And that 
experience set me up for the rest of my life to be able to stand up to anybody under any situation and not be intimidated. Yeah. Okay. So that was an incredible learning experience that I would not wish on anybody. But looking back, that was a game changer, you know. Why does the music from Midnight Express come to mind? That, you know what? That happened to me. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, I saw that movie and boy, I was, I don't know how fast my heart was, you know. I mean, I was down in the dungeon with rubber hoses, okay? Yeah. Wow. I lived that movie. Holy cow. Wow. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. That's crazy. Yeah, that's enough of that story. Enough of that story. Before I let you go today, is there a great book you might like to share with our listeners? I love books, and people have shared so many wonderful books. Is there one in your world? There's a really good book. You may have heard of it. Um, It's about this guy who gets busted for robbery and I think murder in Australia, and he escapes and goes to India. And it's his story of when he arrives in Bombay and how he ends up surviving there. Um, it's called Chanteron. Oh, ever... there's a, there's a uh, movie series. Uh, yeah, it, it, they didn't they didn't renew it, but forget the movie series. Read the book. Okay. <laughs> well, since since I just came back from India, should be interesting perspective. You know, I've been to India. You know, like I did gemstone business out of there for almost you know 30, 30 years. And I've been there at least once or twice a year. And knowing India as well as I do and reading that book, I could really relate. But I suggest you read that book. It's a page turner. It's a page turner and it gets very heavy. But he does a really good job of, he's an incredible writer, of explaining what it's really like to live there and, you know, the stuff that he goes through from really rich people to the poorest people. It's a great book. In fact, I think he, there's a sequel that just came out on that book also. Okay. I'll yeah. I'll pick it up. Sounds wonderful. Well, yeah. you know, I could talk to you forever, and I think maybe we have you back at some point to talk more. But uh, I want to ask you to leave us with maybe some words of inspiration or wisdom for people listening out there, not only about the car world, but about life in general. <sighs> <laughs> I know I ask these deep questions. Um, follow your guts. And listen to your heart. That wraps it up. Well, you know, it's it's a simple thing, but most of the time I've learned in my life when I don't listen to my gut and I ignore it, it doesn't turn out so good. In fact, every time, pretty much. It's a, it's a really strange thing because, you know, and, and it's strange that they say listen to your guts because, I mean, that's right in your solar plexus. You know, it's a feeling. But, um, you know, it, it, it rings true and it, it, it's... You know, it's just a saying, but I mean, you know, you can feel stuff when when you should do something or you shouldn't do something. You basically feel it. And then, again, you throw in the heart, you know, on top of that. And those two sensations, feelings, whatever you want to call them, are pretty good guidance in most situations. So that's what I would counsel any anybody. But I mean, it takes guts to listen to your guts. You know what I'm saying? It does, yeah. And it takes heart to listen to your heart. And if you can stay true to those and really listen, and you know, don't override them too much. You know, 
and get in trouble like I did when I was younger, uh, you know, things might turn out differently. It's all about choices, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I know you've got a, a website, Maui Car Collection. Would that be the best people to get a little flavor of you? Um, it's Maui Car Collection, all one word, dot com. And what's up there is, God, I haven't updated it in a couple of years, but there's a whole bunch of cars up there um, that I have had, a couple I still have. Um, and I think there's my phone number there if you ever get to Maui. Shout out. People give me a shout on Maui and come on over and we take a car out and off we go. There you go. Awesome. Well, this has been a wonderful talk. I knew it would be fun. And I want to, again, thank our friend uh, Steve Larimer for introducing me to Greg because this is the great thing about the car world is you can walk up to somebody you've never met before. And here we sit, uh, I guess, a couple years later, maybe. I, I'm trying to remember the year we even, we even was it last year? Was it last year's? Uh, it was last year. And you, you, you were the lucky recipient. I always give away my Rolex hat. I was very lucky. And, you know, I'd be remiss to not mention that every year I go on that and I think, man, I'd love to have one of those hats. And I have been on the tour once. Uh, Stephen Plaster and his lovely wife, Amy, invited me to ride along in their uh, very, very old Rolls Royce. It was a bright yellow Rolls Royce. I think it was a 19. 19- 13 or something like that. I mean, it was an old car, uh, but the had ended up with their driver. So I've never gotten one. And Greg, uh, the cool guy that he is, goes, ah, this hat's too hot for, for Maui, Mark. You take it because we're both follically challenged. And so I've got my coveted Rolex hat. So I appreciate that. Thank you very, very much. I gave it to a little kid the year before. His dad couldn't believe it. And I said, yeah, and it's yours, not your dad's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I might have pulled the same thing if it had been my son, for sure. I know one year at Pebble, I took my son. He was like eight years old. And uh, he met a gentleman who invited him to drive onto the lawn in his Jaguar. It was a D-type, I believe. And I said, Blake, I've never even been able to drive on the lawn. He goes, well, Dad, get your own ride. So, uh, yeah, there you go. And I did get to last year. My good friend, Diane Brandon, let me ride in with her on a, in a 1935 Bentley that had never been out of Japan. And uh, got to experience that. It was pretty cool. The great people in the car world. Greg, you've been super generous with your time. Thank you for taking a little break from the beach there in Maui. Uh, until you and I talk again, and listeners, we very well may be talking again. Greg has a little neat idea for me, so keep in tune about that. Until you and I talk again, though, Greg, I'll see you down the road. Mahalo. Aloha. Take care. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.